So welcome back to another episode of the ATP Performance Podcast. As you guys can see, we are with our two rehab specialists, and we're going to be getting into a little bit more of the rehab side of things today. So um, I think this is going to be a good one. We were just talking before this, and uh, you guys probably have seen it as well. The specific trend of one exercise, these a lot of times physical therapists, chiros, a lot of people in the clinician world um, are posting about, you know, do this one exercise, solve this pain problem or this um, specific thing you're dealing with. And today we're going to kind of get into a little bit more about why or why not that is there, there's some truth to that, but it's not always the the promise or the um, the great expectation from just one exercise um, that you're going to receive. So we're going to kind of get into that, break that down a little bit further um, and kind of just explain why, you know, one movement might not be the cure-all for you. So uh, I'll pass it over to Jake. Um, maybe if you want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that, man, and kind of get into things a little bit here. Yeah, because um, I don't know if I started the hate train on this, uh, like, publicly but i think i may have put out the first few posts about it um just because it's like it's such a oversimplification of things like i think general exercise stuff can obviously help it's just like um for our audience i guess who are bodybuilders more um often it'd be like saying like there's one specific exercise that's like do this one bicep curl to get like 21 inch arms or like something like that um, it's the same kind of idea where it's like that, well, there's, you're not really asking the right questions here. And, you know, so it's oversimplifying a process that requires more thought and detail and like specific things can be useful, but we need to have more information first before we can, you know, oh, that's like, you're, you're putting, um, you know, this one exercise above all these other things that are more probably important, actually. Mm hmm. Yeah, you skip the foundational stuff as to why that exercise might actually be beneficial. Like it's not sometimes the exercise itself, it's the other things that you're doing and implementing the habits or the idea and the philosophy of like movement itself. Yeah, for sure. And that, um, a lot of it too is like, cause I did uh, a couple carousels on it and I don't remember if we collabed with that one because I try and not always uh, have all of mine be collabs with with our page. Um, but it like I was talking about, like, um, you know, there's so many other levers to pull too, as far as with a lot of like clients that have pain. Just if we even think about general population, like how many people actually probably, um, you know, sleep enough or eat enough protein or um, just like calories in general or have like more of a balanced diet. Like, and it doesn't even have to be like perfect, but like just other things that we could encourage people to do that probably would not just help their pain, but like overall health too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. And oh, go ahead. Go ahead no, I, I was just going to say from my perspective as someone obviously who isn't, you know, as well versed in it as you guys, um, especially movement in as far as a rehabilitation setting or physical therapy setting. I think it's just one of those things where to me, it, it almost is kind of, and I want you guys, guys to elaborate on this because I've learned a lot from you from this subject, but the expectation is the biggest thing, which I think mm -hmm. is so important to touch on because again, it's probably not even the movement that, you know, a lot of these people are seeing and what in the videos we're talking about that you guys are like, you know, maybe some some of them you disagree with just as overall as an exercise. 
but some of them might be movements you guys would implement for someone in some specific cases. But it's again, the way you're saying this is going to solve all your problems. And I think that creates then, you know, a very negative spiral if that doesn't solve all their problems. Um, so you maybe you want to get into that a little bit. And James, you can kind of go off of what we were just going to mention as well. Yeah, yeah, there's so the big thing that you're kind of saying is if it doesn't work for that person, you're setting them up for failure, right? Their their case must be, you know, more intense or they're broken or like something's wrong with them where it might just be that that's not a movement that they can tolerate at that given time, which is a very vague statement, but that's almost the way we have to phrase it because I could do and I have clients that all the time, right? They do a leg single leg leg press on one day. That's something that we're like regressing back from like a box squat or a squat or whatever. It doesn't matter the exercise. You regress. They feel great that week. The next week, because of life factors, not even necessarily the tissue injury that's happened. They didn't sleep very well. They had increased activity because they had more work they had to do, you know, XYZ work stress. Now that next week, that same exercise that was great for them the week prior is no longer a good movement for them, at least in that moment, right? So it's it's very fluid and it has to adapt. So if I were to say, and this is one I'm just picking on because it's the one I see all the time, like planks are fantastic for low back pain. I mean, maybe for some people, some people that might help them like start to get a little bit of muscle activation or muscle activity and exercise and, and feel good when they do have back pains so that allows them, you know, it's almost a stepping stone to go other areas. For other people, it might cause them significant pain. Or if we wanted to look at a more like mechanical point of view, and Jake, you're more the expert on this itself. And I try to not get too biomechanical because as we know in the world, like that's, it's very convoluted, but for low back pain specifically, again, there's a subset of the population where if they have a specific type of back pain and they do repeated extensions, they feel fantastic. There's another subset of people that that's probably going to aggravate their symptoms and make things worse, right? So if I tell you like, oh, everyone needs to do child's pose when you have back pain, or everyone needs to do a cobra when they have back pain, it's going to work for certain people. And they're going to think I'm a genius and like, oh my gosh, everyone needs to do this. And the other people are, I'm going to, I'm going to aggravate their symptoms and make things worse for them in the short term. Yeah. And we did some uh, collabs too on this, um, like with the page too, about where just talking about like development of physical and mental uh, resiliency, because a lot of it too, is that people may just not have uh, like specific exposures to certain things, or they're doing something that's new and unique for them. So like, oh, this just feels different, or I feel like I'm working this thing. And, you know, our body is, especially like our, our nervous system and stuff is more attuned to like pay attention to novel things. And that's why I think like that, even the idea way back, like muscle confusion, um or people like feeling they need like need to be sore to have gotten a good workout comes from is like well you know like it's normal to like not feel x y or z things with something you do a lot because that's just how our our body's designed like you don't feel a t-shirt on all the time um it would be overwhelming and overstimulating if you know all the sensory information your brain has to process you're constantly aware of mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's, let's dive into that a little bit more, right? So for those people, because I kind of hinted at that the mechanical or biomechanical approach to rehab isn't always the best way to think of things, even if we're doing, you know, specific movements and specific mm -hmm. patterns that feel good. Let's talk about like the neural side of things a little bit. Yeah. I mean, what I look at is that there is memory 
uh, for injuries too. So like there's going to be a change in like, if you have an injury somewhere, the sensors there that essentially tell you what's going on in your muscle or joint or whatever it is over time become more sensitive because it's like, uh, it's your immune system too. Like, you know, if you get a vaccine, it's a blueprint of the virus to say, hey, if this shows up again, we know how to handle this. So your body does that with injuries too, to say, hey, I've experienced this before. It led to these things. Now, what do we do to protect against that in the future? Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it might feel good in the short term, but sometimes that um, always trying to get rid of pain um, and thinking that it's always bad um, just kind of furthers that mindset that we have that like we shouldn't be doing things that maybe don't feel great, which is interesting to see because especially in like bodybuilding and powerlifting, like how often are we doing things that don't feel good and our body's fighting us about like whether it's prep or you're doing like all out maxing or taking sets to failure and stuff. And like people learn to uh, appreciate those sensations and know like, oh, when I feel like trash, when I'm in prep, it means that I'm actually losing weight and getting to the conditioning I want. Um, but we don't seem to ever pull that over into like pain world, um, mm -hmm. and improve our understanding of that stuff. Yeah. So your prior experiences with a certain activity movement position or your like beliefs about it can certainly tie into how your pain presents or if you do have pain. So like a real world example of that, I mean, everyone talks about like deadlifts uh, or picking mm -hmm. things up from the floor with a certain back position, right? So if someone had strained their back, injured their back, had pain with a flexed spine, specifically with loading, their body is going to remember that unconsciously, right? Like your nervous system mm -hmm. has that memory, like you said. So they're going to have some unease in that position. But if you educate them and you talk to them and you kind of look through their daily activities, how many other times throughout the day do they bend over and have that flex position? Yeah. And I know someone is going to have the argument of, well, it's the load, right? It was just too much. You can't lift that much. I can bend over, but I can't deadlift with that. I've had just as many patients injure their back, bending over to tie their shoes, pick up a pencil, right? So we don't know exactly why that injury happens, but it's, I can guarantee it's not always a load specific thing, right? So you have to, if all we did was just avoid that position, which was kind of the old school thought, like always brace with everything, like never bend your spine. You have a certain number of repetitions of spinal flexion before your spine gives out, like all that kind of old school thought, that's, which is garbage. We would never, like our life would just be altered to, to no like end. So instead you have to introduce those movements in a safe or perceived as safe uh, position for them or a way for them, right? So that's yeah. like, we change the range of motion on certain movements. We do it unloaded versus loaded, right? Like all these different things that we do in the clinic every single day. Yeah. I always think it's interesting too, when you think about like osteoarthritis, like people say when they have arthritis, like wear and tear, but like majority of times, like arthritic changes are like bone buildup. So like, that doesn't even make sense, even from the perspective, like looking at it mechanically, like if it's worn out, why is there more bone there? and not mm -hmm. less. Um, but I, it, at the same time, it is more, uh, sometimes more brittle bone because it's like your body's having a hard time with the way that it would like turn that over. It'd be like having, um, it's not the same, but like, I think most people would understand it. If it's like, you can look at a scar and see how that's different than your normal skin. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yeah, and what what you guys are saying, it, it makes complete sense as to why the original topic of, you know, the videos that we're seeing where they're promising this exercise, mm-hmm. this specific pain, the problem with the general population all seeing that, as you're mentioning, and I think it can kind of be inferred, but I want to bring it up. It's just the fact that you need to individualize things so much, because as you mentioned, even that same regression of whatever exercise they're promising might be helpful for someone versus again, maybe putting someone in a worse position than they already are. And I think Mm -hmm. that is one of the main problems where, you know, if somebody posts a bicep curl or something like that to the general population, yeah, might not be, you know, as harmful, but even then, you know, might not be great for some people based on their goals. But in this case, it can be even worse or more detrimental because people are actually already in pain who are going to be trying this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I put not, up. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, not just from the acute pain perspective, but also like what is that doing long term to their belief system about pain and about movement? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not just, you know, I, I try to plank my back got worse. Now I feel worse right now. It's also like I can't do planks ever because they cause back pain, which is also false right so there's the whole and that's what people miss they're like oh it's just an exercise it's safe it's fine but if you're messing with people's perception about pain and movement and their capabilities and their fragility that's where i'm gonna that's where i'm gonna confront someone because that has ramifications throughout the rest of their life yeah and i think even very specific things like long term aren't very useful because um like it's just like understanding like exercise programming right like if somebody gave you like a template and it was just i mean like everybody like a lot of people have just tried to do like small off or something like that uh, but then like you can only do some of that stuff for so long and then like if you just follow like that kind of program you don't know how to change things like what do you do when you hit a plateau like how do you like change things to to be better or see an improvement somewhere and like with pain and injury it goes into that, like, most things have a really high reoccurrence rate. So like, if somebody didn't see anyone, most um, musculoskeletal or orthopedic issues that people, you know, aches and pains people have go away within, you know, at least within a year. Um, But they have a high rate of coming back within the next like year or two years, three years. But then like, what happens if in the future, you know, those say, because we're talking about planks, like planks now don't work. Like, is it because my issue is worse so like do i have to go see a bunch more people now and like what if they start going around and seeing more and more people and then that that we know that like just seeking more care i mean especially the us we're really bad at this we seek more care than we need and we pay way more for it and the quality of care if you're not in an emergency is not as good as a lot of other places Mm -hmm. yeah so let's let's, I have two things I really want to discuss, right? So Mm -hmm. the idea of corrective exercise in general, right? And what that should look like versus what it does look like. And I can, we can go all sorts of different ways with that, but also just giving the listeners the, right. So we're, we're ripping apart the point of view trend. What's the better alternative? What are the things that they should know about pain and movement and exercise and how can they like take that and actually get something from it? Yeah. So, I mean, if we started with corrective exercises, I mean, I don't, I don't, I guess I don't even know what like a good definition of that even means. Like, I, right. I guess that's exactly. The, and that's the idea, like that belief that you inherently have something like flawed with you and you need to fix it in order to feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's, that's kind of wanted to get at, right? Like no one really knows what it means because it's not, it's never the same thing, right? It, like my example earlier, something could feel good, improve mobility specific for one case at a given time, the next week, not the same. So I like to teach my clients and patients that the exercises I'm giving them, and they see this in their programming, serve multiple purposes. They're desensitizing painful tissues. They're introducing movements in a pain-free way. They're also hypertrophic. I can't say the word. They cause gains, right? Like they, I'm not just wasted, right? So it's not just a rehab exercise. It's doing all these other things, right? One I'm using right now for a couple individuals is a Y raise, cable Y raise. You could do that without having pain or any real reason to do that and still get muscular hypertrophy or strength to certain muscles or use it for aesthetic reasons, but I'm programming it in a way as well to address certain shoulder pain issues that that person's having. So everything has a place. So mm -hmm. you can't just say, this is my corrective exercise and this is my bodybuilding, or this is my strength program. And this is my, you know, my PT exercise. They should be one and the same, and it should progress and regress just like your mesocycles would. Right. So the classic example would be, all right, someone has pain with a barbell squat. Let's deload it. Let's change the range of motion with like a box squat. Let's maybe change it from a back squat to a front squat or a goblet squat. So you change the modality, but you can't tell me that I can't still make progress specifically for bodybuilders where it's very forgiving with a goblet squat versus a barbell squat or a leg press or any one of those, right? So any one of those things could be a corrective exercise in that moment, but it's also serving the long-term goal of making them strong and resilient and jacked and juicy and all that fun stuff. Yeah. I know with a couple of my clients, like they're mainly... Um, one is, has a history of like more bodybuilding and is a PT. And the other one is like, uh, someone that I worked with in the past, went to a gym, he's more powerlifting focused. And like some of the stuff I'm programming for him is like very specific to like areas. I know that he's had a past history of problems. And so like, even though they're good, like strength development or movements for strength development, I'm like specifically having him, you know do them in ways to like help build resiliency. Like he's had a problem with like back pain. So we do sometimes pause deadlifts because it just forces you to keep the bar closer. So he gets more used to like when he's doing that movement, how to like not get so out in front of him. But at the same time, I do have him do some stuff where I'm like making him get into positions where he's in more flexion or, or things like that. And even doing like, um, I have him doing some like ab work where he does like cable crunches and like, uh, twisting movements and, and different things like that. Mm -hmm. And, and for the listeners that don't know why you would do that, explain on that specifically the ab crunches and the rotations and things. Yeah. So it's like, if, if you've worked with so as a physical therapist, like most of the common complaints I get when people come in with like back pain is that like, they have a hard time with like sweeping or vacuuming, or like, they're usually sometimes also afraid because people tell you like not to lift and twist. But like, how many times do you, like, if you would sit down and think about how many times you probably actually do that, um, anyways, it's a lot. So it's like trying to develop resiliency in different positions and movements, especially if they're sometimes more awkward. That's usually where people see that they have more, uh, pain develop because you're just not used to being in those positions too. And that's where I think a big thing that, especially if you're, what james is mentioning is someone's like i don't want to have all those other things or those other benefits like i hear with what you're saying but i just want to get out of pain and so then you're basically in this case allowing them to 
find the point in which, like you're saying, with bending over and hurting their back, mm-hmm. how much can you bend over right now? And how can we then progress you back to what we needed to be able to do? Like you said, something around the house or, and do it in a way then you're not saying you can't ever do this again. Yeah. You know, you, cause obviously in those cases, it's like you have to for most people. And so you're then allowing them to kind of almost mentally kind of, again, back to what we were saying, meeting them where they are, which is where I think the specialist is so key and actually working with someone um, to then get them comfortable, both mentally and physically with the progression scheme, especially again, someone who's like, I don't want to lift or, you know, have all those benefits. Cause obviously a lot of people listening are like, you know, that's, that's exactly what I want. Or I got to get back to powerlifting. And then, you know, I have to do these three movements mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it might be um, bodybuilding wise. Um, mm-hmm. So is that, is, does that, is it, am I kind of on the right track there as far as someone in that case where you're like kind of meeting them where they are and that's where these viral videos or, you know, a video that just says do this, it's not meeting them where they are at all. Cause we don't know where they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and sometimes yeah. it's like, it's interesting to see with like some of the stuff that I program or like even have patients do like in the clinic where like you can have them do the same movement that is like normally aggravating them, but like just in a different way or position and sometimes even the same load. And like, that doesn't bother them. And mm-hmm. then, you can kind of point out to them that and then they're like, oh, wait, I didn't think about that. Or then they do like the other, you know, say like a pick up something from the floor again. And they're like, oh, it didn't bother me as much this time. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of to your point as well, Joe, right? If we're, if that exercise is underdosed for that person's goals, whether it's intensity, load, whatever it is, you're not addressing their symptoms, right? So I always think of this for shoulder, right? Everyone that's had any sort of shoulder pain and have gone to any sort of conservative clinician, and I'm saying that as like Cairo, you know, exercise physiologist, even like anyone, right? They've all done internal external rotations with a band and they've probably never progressed that or challenged that in any way, right? And they might not have pain when they do that anymore, but as soon as they get underneath the barbell to overhead press to barbell bench, whatever, they might be fine at first, and then it hits a point now I'm painful. Well, that's because your intervention has not scaled with their capabilities, right? So maybe you need to change that intervention, add load, put in a different position, match the position where they have the pain in, right? Because if I'm down here and I need to press overhead, well, maybe I should get my arm overhead when I'm rehabbing them, right? To introduce mm-hmm. that stimulus to those tissues where they have the pain and people don't consider that. And that's where especially the point of view fails as well right? Because it's one exercise, you know, one plus one equals two in that case where it's like, well, what happens when that no longer fixes it? Like we kind of mentioned, right? Where do I go from there? How do I progress this just like I should my training? Yeah. And, and one of the things too, is like on top of that is like that eventually sometimes you have to just get back to that activity that was bothering you and like challenge that specific activity Mm -hmm. because not even just from a tissue perspective, but like motor learning, like how our nerves and our brain and stuff like pick up like and understand movement. Like um, there can be that like pathway that you use, like, you know, your mind muscle connection with an, with a movement and that now firing of that pathway can just be associated with like pain. So it's not necessarily even that you have a problem with the tissue there. The tissue could be perfectly fine, but because in the past that, position you were in or movement you were doing or whatever 
was a cause of problem, your body's protective of that and goes, Hey, every time it's like, um, in psychology, they call it like a negative tape or it'd be like a bad habit. So it's just like understanding that you're not always injured when we experience these things. And like, sometimes relearning, like just because it's uncomfortable, doesn't mean it needs to like limit what you can do and you could still do those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is maybe like a little bit of a tangent, but I'm just, there's so many things spinning through my head right now. We could give, and I've probably, you've probably done it a million times, Jake. I can give one exercise to 10 different patients for 10 different reasons. Yeah. Right. And people are like, well, and I think of like a weighted carry. Cause I like, I, I like to use those for an active population. Right. Mm -hmm. And someone could see that and be like, well, that's a back pain exercise. Well, yes, but it also could be a good exercise for someone who had a shoulder dislocation, or it could be, you know, there's so many different other ways that I could implement that same exercise and just the reasoning for it, I can explain, right? So yeah, and, and it's the same for any exercise. You could give planks for somebody with low back pain, but you used to also give it for someone with shoulder pain. You could also give it for, you know, so many different other situations. So it's not just like this exercise falls into this category and this category is what I give to someone with shoulder pain. No, it's, yep. it's the reasoning and what they need to do and what they need to get back to doing and what triggers their pain and what doesn't. So it's very convoluted. Yeah. I had, a, I mean, just even that specific example, I had a guy last week who is a warehouse worker and he has to carry cases of, of like, uh, it's like tomato sauce or something like that. So I had him doing carries. He has shoulder pain because he's going to have to carry cases at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But if that same individual had low back pain with carrying a case, you'd probably have them do the same thing because it's very task specific, but you would just mm -hmm. change the dosage so that it was starting out relatively pain-free or comfortable or tolerable and progress it to the load that he needs to do for his job or even beyond that. Yeah. Love it. So one thing I want to bring up, which kind of goes along with the internet videos, something I think we see a lot of times, and it can be kind of the same premise where it's somebody doing a specific exercise and they're like, this is going to bulletproof this specific body part, right? I think everyone has seen that. And I think you guys should go into that a little bit as far as one, why that isn't necessarily true and why we don't necessarily know why or or obviously when but the the mechanism behind why we get injured and and how that there's a lot of things that we can do it's not saying that the exercises won't help but it's again impossible to say you're bulletproofing something fully from happening mm -hmm. yeah why don't i go i'll go positive and jake <laughs> you be you you go negative on this one because i feel like you can rip that apart pretty easily so i'll try and make the case for bulletproofing right so the whole idea of that is you're introducing normally end range movements or some sort of very specific movement that puts tissues under stress, sometimes loaded, sometimes unloaded, so that they're accustomed to said stress when they face it in a workout or in their daily life, right? So knees over toes is one great example. People are afraid of that. So we start, let's get our heels elevated on a little squat or, you know, do some mobilizations into that position. So now my tissues are desensitized to being in a knees over toes position. Uh, so that's the whole thought with it. And there is some, some research and Jake can correct me if I'm wrong, if this has been updated, I'm thinking of like the fitness fatigue model and like the acute to chronic mm -hmm. workload ratio, where there's some evidence to say that a moderate volume of exercise in general for a target area is relatively protective. The downside being that it's not 100%, never will be 100% because of all the factors that Jake's probably about to say right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, because like the like we, I mean, the same thing with the updated fitness fatigue model. Because most people, even like in powerlifting and like even um, some some researchers that I respect a lot, they talk about like general adaptation syndrome, uh, mm-hmm. which was like coined from the like twenties, and that's actually like kind of outdated now because like it was it was like the difference between taking like a physics course with using algebra versus like calculus where like if you're taking a calculus based physics you have to account for like wind resistance like what elevation you're at like all these other things versus algebra it's just like everything is in a vacuum nothing exists other than the factors that are given to you on the paper um Mm -hmm. and that's how like general adaptation syndrome views like exercise like that we can always predict what outcome we're going to get from it you input these things and this is what comes out um Mm -hmm. versus um our updated understanding which like john uh kylie gets into like in his paper of like uh periodization like inconvenient truth and um some updated stuff on like allostasis which is like now wanting to replace the idea of like homeostasis which is like we see a consistent um, improvement and stability through always having things change versus like something maybe tries to change you and then you come back Um, is that um, there's all these other factors going on around us that would influence how you adapt or respond to a, a stimulus. So like that is generally very good. And for a lot of people, it is beneficial. Um, It's just we can't always um, take out like the fact that, you know, uh, just even the stress of competition or training or daily life or like how you respond to it, even like positive stressors. Like the analogy I used with a, a patient the other day was like, it's just like getting having bills that come out of the bank account. Doesn't matter if it's because it's your electric bill or like a car repair or you got your groceries, they all come out of the same place and that's all your body knows. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where stress comes from, is that your body can only recover from and tolerate so much stress um, with the amount of resources you have right now. And that's changing all the time. And that's one of the things even like we're, um, some of the stuff I'm getting into in this fellowship that I'm doing, we are going to get into a lot more and I'll have future posts about more of that too. Um, just cause like, you'll see some people in like, there's really no reason for them to have whatever, you know, they're like, I can't think of anything like this pain. Most of my patients actually like stuff comes out of nowhere. Like they don't have a specific event. Um, and then they just start developing pain. And then you look and like, Oh, in their past medical history, they have like diabetes, high blood pressure. Um, you know, they probably don't eat very well or sleep very well. Some of them have insomnia, like different things like that. So it's like, well, like you didn't change anything, but you have all these other factors that are stacking up that might be negative as far as like, phys- like what physical stressors you have, then not being able to recover from them. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying that all those outside things are draining the bank account. So when something mm-hmm. does happen, even if it's a low grade incident or a low stressor mm-hmm. physically, your body can't recover from it because it yeah. just doesn't have the capacity to, which yeah. I think some bodybuilders are starting to understand a little bit, like with deloads and recovery and all those different things, like how much that can play into gains and strength. We also have to mm-hmm. look at it from a pain perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then like, we just generally have a 
a negative mindset anyways uh surrounding pain like from a societal belief like and this is across the world too Mm -hmm. joe you look like you're about to like say something there yeah well i was (laughs) just gonna say as far as training and training and 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 i'm using that in the sense of like rehabilitation exercise Mm -hmm. in general because a lot of people you know if you've never done physical therapy it a lot of one in the same, you know, as far as, you know, obviously the specifics within it, but you're, you know, you're doing exercises. So is there to kind of, you know, go back to what we were just mentioning, is there an injury prevention aspect to exercise in general? Or how would you describe that relationship to someone? Yeah, I mean, it does exist. Um, Like we have our post about the physical capacity, um because like even if you think about corrective exercise most people think about like fixing like your posture like how you're moving and stuff and i have a post coming up to expand on that even more uh, from that physical capacity thing but like there's been uh some studies in like college athletes that specifically compared like just having them do like a stretching program having them do like what they call like neuromuscular so it's like improving their movement quality and then having them doing like strength training and like the strength training group improved i think it's like two or three times more like comparatively like their injury rates in that group were much less compared to just improving your quality of movement and or like mobility even so there is a a component of that so so it's almost being oversold sometimes or the specific expectations and promises are where some people and where you guys specifically disagree because it can create this false expectation then maybe when you do get injured and you're like what the heck i was doing all these things that said i was not gonna and then you get Mm -hmm. it totally messes up your kind of overall paradigm with that relationship whereas you're kind of saying like no 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 like we we kind of need to expose your body to those things to help prevent that but it's again not maybe a cure all, you know, just as much as if you do get hurt, you're we can get you back to feeling good, right? Where it's not this like end all be all in one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like yeah. um it's a silly example, but like you can work out and not smoke and like not drink very much. And like generally that'll allow you to be healthier. But like if you got like hit by a car, like yeah, those things were great, but then like things happen. Um, yeah, things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, like putting, it's, your, it's, putting your eggs in the right basket, but things can still occur, even though that's happening, for sure. Yeah, and I feel like most clinicians like ourselves don't really have a problem with the, th- and in general, because I can think of a couple of people where I certainly have a problem with the things that they're doing, like actual movement wise, <laughs> but most of the movements people give are fine. And I utilize myself, it's just the wording that goes with it or the promise that goes with it, right? They, those internet gurus for lack of a better term are selling it as the end all be all without the fine print or the caveat or the like except in these cases or you know and that's where jake and i live right like you could do this but expect xyz and this could happen and that could happen and maybe in this situation it's good not right so that's why the like it depends is the most hated term in physical therapy but it's probably the most accurate right i can't tell you hey, my shoulder hurts, what do I need to do? 
that's like an hour long conversation of when did it start hurting? What causes irritation? What doesn't cause irritation? What's your prior history? What are your expectations? Like, it's just so in depth where if I just were to be lazy and say, Hey, try some like cable internal external rotations, it might work. And it probably would for most people, but I'm doing them a disservice by not educating them as to like why it helped them because now they're going to be relying on that one exercise or relying on me and not understanding that much of what we do can be learned and taught and you can be independent with kind of taking care of your own body a little bit. Yeah. That reminds me of my, one of my best friends. He, uh, he was literally, he golfs like almost every day of the week. Like he loves golfing and he like was lifting. He's a big lifter too. And he did a bunch of like, like barbell work and like was really kind of overextending kind of his like trap area on top of like just hitting like probably hundreds of balls. And so my buddy, he's like mentioned it to us like, yeah, I'm going to go to the, I think I was talking to you about this a little bit, James. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go to the chiropractor. And then, you know, like we were just like, what's wrong. And he's like, you know, my back is hurting. And then it's like, kind of like what you're explaining where someone's just like, my back hurts. And then we come to find out like, He's been playing golf every day of the week. He's been, mm-hmm. you know, hammering. He just hammered himself in the gym with that specific area. So it's like, you know, in his case, he just needed to regress what he was doing, give himself a little bit of a break. But yeah, if you just give someone like, hey, like, just do this or, you know, like, or, you know, wh- whatever caused it, just stop doing that. It's like, well, it's like he's not going to stop golfing if he likes doing it. So it's like kind of you got to meet them where they are and and kind of find that balance. It reminds me of like where you wouldn't and and we would all agree with this as far as like weight loss, right? You're not going to just have these crazy blanket expectations or ways you're advertising. Like we're going to lose 50 pounds in three months or whatever. Like, you know, it's just a false expectation that then in the same way, almost creates this negative cycle where someone's like, I've tried a million things and it doesn't work. And then they give up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to pick apart that specific case you just used, I had an evaluation of a young soccer player, same thing. And this is a, it's our job to pick that apart, but sometimes people, the patient specifically don't realize all the things that can play into their pain. They only think of the pain when it happened and what they were doing when it happened. And I asked very leading questions for that reason. And it still can get missed until the end of an evaluation when actually this kid's mom came in, right? So it's like kid has a lateral knee pain on the soccer field. He can't really remember any specific event, but it was really, you know, couldn't, couldn't barely walk on it for like three days. It started getting better on its own, but there was no real mechanism of injury, no collision, no buckling, no popping, no bruising. None of like the signs that would tell me like something's really wrong. And the whole team and the staff were worried about like, Oh, did he blow out his LCL? You know, whatever. Cause it's lateral knee pain. And I can't find anything wrong on exam. And then his mom comes in and goes, well, did you, did you tell him that you've been golfing a lot? I was like, well, I mean, that that could be a, a little bit of a stress. And she goes, no, I mean, like a lot, a lot. We'll come to find out before this very competitive game where he had the pain, he played 27 holes of golf the day before. I was like, dude, like I asked you, like, really new what, are, you, what, are, what yeah. are your other activities? Have, like, what's your like training and, and recovery look like? Like all the things you should ask. But he didn't put two and two together because golf is different, right? Golf didn't cause the pain. He wasn't hurting when he was golfing. But it's that same thing Jake was saying that taxed his system so much, especially those tissues from all the repetitive high velocity twisting where he did the same thing on the soccer field after the fact. And it was just too much that time. Right. So it's like, you're fine. Just don't do that anymore. Right. Recover. We'll reload you, whatever. But you're going to be fine. You just need to get better about fatigue management and time management, really. And like when you're doing these things. And it's like in this case, like perfect example, where if you just told this kid it was golf. 
you can't go like golf caused this. He never golfs again because he's like scared of it, you know, or, mm-hmm. or you know, heaven forbid, he's like, you can't play soccer anymore because that's what caused this. And then he's like, what? Mm-hmm. You know, and then he totally flips his mind where he's like totally scared of doing whatever he's doing when it's like, no, no, no. Kind of like with the knees over toes thing. It's like, yeah, I probably wouldn't just go recommend it to, you know, 10 random people on the street because that might be the, you know, the, the camel that breaks, you know, the uh, the the um whatever that saying is straw that break the camel's <laughs> there back we go. there you go thank you thank the you. camel that broke the straws back <laughs> yeah, yeah. i was like i think i went wrong here but um <laughs> but, but yeah but it's one of those things where it's all relative based on that situation like he might have never had the knee pain if he didn't go mm-hmm. then hammer it in soccer again too so that's i think that's a that's a great example and kind of really hones in on why like you were just saying really actually working with someone just to get the understanding of what's going on is so key. Um, same with like, in this case, but like I was mentioning with weight loss or, you know, someone is trying to, you know, complete a goal they've already tried and failed at. It's like, Hey, what have you done? Like, cause you probably have these expectations where you got to do X, Y, Z again, when maybe we don't even have to, and you can kind of block that out and actually, you know, get the results you want now. Um, no, I think that's, that explains that well. Uh, I'm learning a lot here too. So <laughs> I've learned a lot from you guys. It's really interesting to learn about injuries and kind of the relationship there. It, it helps as a, just a consumer and, you know, in day to day, people talking, there's so many misnomers um, kind of things that we have as expectations that I think get ingrained with us, but, um, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because even within our field, there's a lot of discourse and, there's groups and camps just like there are in bodybuilding and like ideologies, but there, and there would be some that would say my philosophy of like, all right, well, let's, let's modify movement and train around the pain and then reintroduce blah, blah, blah. Like that's the lazy way. Cause we're not finding like the real solution, but I mean, we don't know the solution. At least my understanding of the evidence as it is, is that like, I can never guess exactly why you have your pain and, and some of the mechanical things that people look at probably don't contribute to pain as much as they think, right? Asymmetric, like asymmetry within the body is normal. Uh, it's not your scapular winging maybe, or it's not your rotated rib cage, or I could go like in the whole rabbit hole of like all the crazy things people say are the cause of very specific pain, but we don't know that for sure. So I'm never going to phrase it that way, right? So I look at it from a functional and a goal perspective. Let's modify the thing that's painful Let's get you back to doing the thing you want to do and let's reintroduce that prior painful stimulus in a logical manner, just as I would with any training client. Yeah. And even like trying to get people to move all the same, um, there's some interesting stuff in like motor learning that um, I've looked at in the past and then I was introduced to some new stuff now, but like even in um, like, I think it was like major league pitchers, they did a study where they tried to get them to all throw a ball like a very specific way and like had them look at it and do it over and over again and like they could only replicate it was like 75 or 80 percent of like that specific movement they wanted them to do and like every time they would do it it'd be different well in motor learning some of like the foundational research even showed that where like they're doing a specific task it was like hammering and they were like every single time they did it was different and they're like that's like ingrained variability that like is supposed to be there and um uh, there was another study they did about like cycling and like people's muscle activation and they said it was so different between people that it was as if you were looking at like individual fingerprints 
Yeah, that's interesting you say that, Jake, uh, because in cycling, they often, especially the commentators and stuff, they'll they'll talk about how, and it's to the layman, they'd be like, no, they all look the same, they're pedaling. But a lot of guys will have different distinct pedaling styles where like you're talking about, especially with clip-ins, like a lot mm-hmm. of guys will really be using their hamstrings and pulling almost with like their hamstring as they're pedaling up. Whereas obviously most people when they bike, you know, if you're just putting your feet on the pedals, you're just pushing down most of the time. But if you have clip-ins and if you've ever ridden with with actual clipped-in shoes, you'll know what I'm talking about. You can feel your hamstrings working and you can use them a lot more. And so what you're saying is totally true, Jake. It's so interesting um, where even, even actually when I go for a ride, sometimes different parts of the ride, I'll use different muscles just to kind of almost give them a, give one area a break. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. And Jake, uh, or excuse me, um, James, just to kind of, uh, pointed out when you're talking about you can't always describe or find out pinpoint when you know why people are having pain you're not necessarily talking about just for someone listening like a broken arm like obviously your mm, your pain right. is because you broke your arm but it's like what you're yeah. describing where someone comes to you and they've had some kind of like weird pain that can't just be explained with you know maybe an x-ray or whatever other sort of form they've gone to the the doctor and seen or their trainer right um yeah maybe explain that a little bit too just to kind of if you know what generalize I mean. and call it like a non-traumatic injury right because i don't okay. even want to use diag- uh, like imaging as a diagnosis yeah like I was if, say it's that a, was if it's a trauma that. like yeah you break your leg it's gonna hurt we know why your leg hurts guaranteed it's unexplained right? almost yeah 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 but if i look at an mri of someone's back or someone's shoulder and there's irregularities is how i'll even word it I can't guarantee that even that irregularity is the cause of their pain because there's a lot of research that shows that people have asymptomatic disc bulges, asymptomatic arthritis, asymptomatic rotator cuff tears, right? Like people walk around every single day with tears in the rotator cuff and they don't have shoulder pain and vice versa. There are people that walk around every single day with a beautiful MRI of their shoulder and have very significant shoulder pain, right? So I can't look at any image ever and say, this is exactly the cause of your pain unless you have a compound fracture of your leg or something like that, right? Like that's a very like traumatic type injury. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting because people use di- like imaging as a diagnostic gold standard all the time where mm, hopefully we're kind of pushing away from that a little bit, at least in our field. Um, but yeah, what when I talk about an injury and not being able to know it's the non-traumatic uh, musculoskeletal type injury, the vague pain, unspecific, you know, non-specific low back pain or anterior shoulder pain or anterior knee pain. And that's why we've kind of moved away from some of the very specific diagnoses within our world. Um, at least some of us have, because I can't guarantee that it's any one specific tissue. I can normally focus in on a, a subset of tissues in a certain area, uh, but it's it's very convoluted again. I like that word today. I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly kind of what I was getting at as far as how the imaging and how those specific situations don't always tell the the right picture. I think it's kind of the same. I know you're, you're mentioning shoulders. Isn't that, I think I, Jake has talked about it or shown research before about same thing with like meniscus tears as well. Isn't that kind of mm. a similar thing, Jake? Yeah. Like, so like 60% of people have like the term in research is degenerative, but it means like just over time they've accumulated what looks like a tear on an MRI and only like 5% of meniscus tears happen because of like a trauma because typically for you to tear it traumatically means there's enough force going through your knee that it's also going to tear usually your ACL and your MCL. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't yes. usually just happen just out of no, like it, 
so like we'll see them in 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 uh, major league soccer or might have been like um whatever the professional soccer league is in europe um they found that the people that had knee pain and had meniscus tears when they did an mri in their other knee it had the exact same like it looked the same and mm -hmm. they didn't have any problems on that other side yeah yeah and that's not to say that their meniscus wasn't painful in that moment but can you say that the meniscus tear is the reason for the pain no and that's the conversation and most people don't care about the minutiae as much as we do um, but it's just trying to educate that, like, when I rehab you, you're still going to have that tear, right? Like, it's, it's there are some instances of, uh, like, disc issues in the back healing and ACL is regenerating. But most often, like, those degenerative changes will still be there in the tissue. So it's not like my exercises are magic and are healing you. They're desensitizing the area, retraining your body to, like, accept this is the new norm, like, lots of different things. And that's where it really becomes important with, like, how we phrase things yeah and a lot of it too is like tissue like people and patients don't understand is like most labels that we give in like musculoskeletal problems are temporary because tissues are going to heal and whether you do anything or not they're still going to heal like if you break your your leg and so long as you don't keep re-breaking it like if nobody puts it in the right position it's still going to heal like it's just you may have you know like um one of those uh um I call him um, clinical instructors I had on my last internship. His collarbone is like a triangle because he broke it in motorsports and it never got like put in the right position to heal like where it would look more normally. But it's still it's still healed, but it's like in a triangle shape. Um, and I've seen tons of other ones where like etchings were like uh, somebody had a dislocated shoulder that never got put it back in and they they formed a new socket for the shoulder um, their hip went through the socket and inside on the, um, in their pubic bone, it formed a new socket for it. Um, different things like that. Like your body will still find a way to take care of it. So usually when it becomes more chronic, it's, it's not, it's less and less likely that it's like a very specific tissue problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it's the sensitization and the, the, all those other fun things that we talked about. Yeah. And this is like, even to pull it back a little bit more to like our lifting population, right? Like the term like impingement syndrome or, you know, and acromial impingement, or even like the new one I'm seeing all the time is like clavicular osteolysis, which literally just means like irritation to the clavicle, right? Like it's, uh, it's arthritis on the clavicle and they're getting surgeries for it. And if you look at the research, the surgeries are no better than conservative care because more often than not, it's probably not that specific tissue that they found on the imaging that's causing the pain or causing the issue. So what's helping is they go through this period of unloading because of the surgery, right? What's a standard surgery you know, procedure? You're in a sling for four to six weeks, you're not doing anything. And then what do we do? We gradually load them through passive range of motion, active range of motion, gentle loading, and more aggressive loading. So we're doing the thing that we would do regardless of if they had the surgery, right? We're starting them from a baseline and progressing them forward. So not to say that all surgeries are unnecessary, but a lot of these non-traumatic surgeries might be. Well, and that's what, what you were just mentioning. You're like, oh, you know, we might get more into the weeds with this than, than most people. But it's like, if I was in that situation where I was dealing with that and I could literally decide between having a surgery or not. And I think more people are, kind of you know just as just as many people are getting diluted with things that aren't maybe the truth i think there is a lot of people coming to realize that there's other options besides surgery 
and they're not as quick to jump on that now, which I think is a good thing. But I think just kind of having that full range of expectations and kind of knowledge of both paths, you could go down where it's like somebody could say Mm -hmm. to you, yeah, the surgery might help you. And I think we had a conversation about my mom and kind of, you know, people, doctors told her you got bone on bone, you know, you might need two knee replacements. And it's like, and then you mentioned, you're like, no, I'm not saying it's not going to help her because it might, but it also might not be, especially if you haven't exhausted other expectations or other specific uh, uh, modalities, you know, and, and you've never tried it. It's like, well, you know, you're not trying to get back on the field or it's not like the thing that exactly is going to help you, which is hard to say that it sounds like it's hard to um, quantify that without, you know, knowing. Um, And yeah, I mean, so I think this is all super valuable information, even for the general public or an athlete, because if you can kind of realize there's other ways, you know, that would be the worst thing ever. You have a surgery. And then, like you said, you're pulled out even longer versus if you kind of just worked with what you got, especially depending on what it is, um, you might be much better off, you know, versus going under the knife. Yeah. And a lot of it is mindset having to do with like understanding from like a cultural perspective of like the fact that, I mean, so like part of the reason why, for example, like athletes, why they just have surgeries all the time is because when it's just like the pain and injury and rehab, it's, it's less kind of predictable versus like when say they go and have a very specific surgery done, there's like very specific timelines that they follow. So like and people in general, and, and then this goes to like the general public is like, you know, what's, what are you going to take more often? Are you going to say like, oh, I go see a therapist and they tell me like, it could be between this amount of time. But if I go see a surgeon, they're going to be like, oh, it's going to be exactly like this amount of time. This is what we're going to expect. Like they give you very clear um, expectations of like, oh, we know that, you know, based on tissue healing time, but like, I can't tell somebody that when it's, when rehabbing them like you could be healed but then still have pain and and i don't know and that in the and not to discredit any medical practitioner anywhere but that surgeon is going to view that surgery as a success right like mm. i did a rotator cuff repair when i look at an mri that tear is no longer there good i did my job too bad they still have pain and can't lift their arm overhead and can't get back to throwing and all the other things that actually mattered not just the fact that they have this soft tissue defect yeah yeah that's that's my yeah that's my soapbox show because i could go i can go on and on and no this is so here's here's my statement that i put out to everybody and i've seen (laughs) i've seen this literally within the last year probably five times where i've talked to somebody on a messaging board or social media and they have shoulder pain and they're a weightlifter went to a doctor after a year of pain They have not done any sort of conservative care, or if they have, it was probably a generalist that didn't know the task requirements of being a weightlifter, bodybuilder, powerlifter, all those things. So they're getting low dose care, which was not what they needed. So they had this pain or you ask them and then you say, have you done anything about it? And they said, well, I stopped training for like a month. And then it came back when I started lifting again. Right. So they haven't done the proper steps. They go to a surgeon, surgeon says you have distal clavicular osteolysis, or you have impingement syndrome, or you have this specific type of acromion, which causes irritation, blah, 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 blah. You need this surgery and they get the surgery and most of them end up getting better, but not because of the surgery all the time. So if you have not tried conservative care from a specialist or somebody who understands the task requirements that you want to get back to doing, do that before you get a surgery because you can't undo a surgery. Boom. Yeah. And 
a lot of it is like too is that even like pretty simple surgeries have risk um you know like in um the uk if you look at their uh, data on like uh, knee replacements like the mortality rate within the first 90 days is like almost 10 percent in some cases especially people that have like um internal organ like issues say like stomach issues or um uh, what was the other one uh like it was like dvts like so um blood clotting like different things like that the other ones were like related to like some specific types of cancer but then also like um you know, the, there's risk of anesthesia. Um, I've even seen where after knee replacements, um, like almost like a 30% of people still report having the same pain that they had. So if like you're just doing the surgery to get rid of the pain, well, even the surgery may not get rid of the pain, but like your function might get better. And that's the same thing with like even like shoulder dislocation surgeries. It's like if you have the surgery the dislocations happen last, but typically you can't use your arm as well. So like it's, and there's no guarantee that the pain is going to be better. So it's like, well, do you want to be able to use your arm in a specific way? Or do you just care that it's dislocating less? Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is not something that people are fully educated on in this specific way when they're going mm -hmm. to get the surgery. Like you're not being mm -hmm. told this because most people would be like, wait, what? And then yeah. and I, what you just said is so true because, and I think I know it firsthand where I think that people take it for granted. Like I've seen, you know, my mom has had breast cancer. My aunt has had breast cancer. So like I've seen my dad's had tons of surgeries. Like, so I've seen, you know, my mom get an infection, you know, I've seen, you know, mm -hmm. struggle that you can go through just from something that has nothing to do with the surgery, you know, like even yep. just like my aunt, she just had surgery she you know her wound ended up getting infected then you got that to deal with it's just like all these factors that yeah. like you said talk about pain yeah maybe down the road but you're probably gonna be in some pain when more pain than maybe you're in right now when you get your you know your your uh surgery done like afterwards like depending on what it is like just the incision or just you know those different things and then you know like you said not using it because you're having surgery you know and then it's like all that area around it's getting weaker too. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's all super valid. And, and like you said, I think it's something that's definitely needed, uh, for people, like you said, James, if they're considering that just to exhaust all options beforehand, mm -hmm. um, or at least consider it for sure. Yeah. And, and again, this is not like bashing surgeons or bashing no, physicians no. or cause most, they could turn around and say like the same thing about physical therapists, chiros, all of the, like the conservative rehab professionals, because historically we've done probably a poor job of getting people better. Right. Um, so really what it is, is just advocating for yourself. And that's not to say like, go do your own research because most people don't know what they're looking at. Right. But go talk to multiple professionals get multiple points of view, and then make your decision based off that and ask, you know, if the surgeon says you need the surgery, say like, well, what are my other options? What do they look like? What are, you know, what are the outcomes with conservative care versus surgical care? And if they're a good provider, they will provide that for you. There are just as many good ones, I hope, as there are bad ones and bad being like, just, I don't know, short-sighted, narrow-sighted, whatever that is. Um, but yeah, there's, there's multiple options for multiple people quite often and they're just not given those options i was gonna be like in the plug if you need a second opinion you can always book a call with james or myself <laughs> but for real though yeah, yeah like go, and, go to some obviously we're like, biased right like yeah. i'm i'm biased i'm gonna push people away from surgery but like the surgery is always there 
Yeah, I'll still recommend it when it's needed. Like I have sent people to surgeons, even like mm-hmm. uh, I've sent like three people at least within the last year that I was like, I think actually surgery is a better option for you in this specific mm-hmm. case. There you go. Um, mm-hmm. Usually I give them like a few visits, but like after, you know, I'm like, eh, like this seems like something that might be be better. And then I, at the other end of the spectrum, I had somebody that w- should traditionally, I think, have had surgery uh, for a rotator cuff tear, but because the guy had so many other issues, like with like, he has like progressive, like, uh, brain degeneration, like of his like frontal part of his brain and then like has diabetes. And he's like seeing me because he had deconditioning related to him being in the hospital five times from having like wounds from diabetes. But I'm like, I just don't think like, this is like, you could die from this surgery and let alone like, you know, have use of your arm, like, so I saw him for eight visits and he can raise his arm overhead and doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. And he has yeah. an, a non-intact rotator cuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those aren't that rare, right? I have had multiple cases of the same thing. And sometimes too, it's like just their schedule doesn't allow them to go through a surgery, right? Like, yeah. Hey, my rotator cuff's blown, but I own a business and if I'm not working the business, the business fails and now I can't support my family. So it's like, well, let's get you doing whatever we can do. And three months down the road, they have no issues, full function. Surgeons still might be saying like, well, you know, just in case you probably should still get the rotator cuff surgery. And then you have to ask them like, why, right? Like what's your disability? What aren't you able to do? If you can do everything you want to do, there's no reason for it. But yeah, likewise, you know, one of my longest term clients we had tried to help with his back pain and the nerve irritation in his leg. He was starting to lose function and we get it under control for a little bit. And they were just recurrent for like years and years to the point where it said, you know what? I think you do need a back surgery. And that's a lot for me to say. And now he's crushing it because he had a very successful surgery and we rehabilitated him all the way back to where he was and beyond probably. Right. So there it's, it depends. <laughs> that's I think the best way to say it. Right. But don't always take the first opinion at face value. Yeah. And I think like what things can people take away that like help them move away from that mindset of like the specific things is like the mindset aspect of it, like getting used to understanding that like pain is normal part of life. Like just because you have pain doesn't mean that you need to freak out and immediately go and see somebody all the time. Um, Understanding that like, and like sitting back and reflecting because a lot of times the problem is like our medical society ads stuff like that. And even I, oh my God, I had a workers comp ad came on the other day. This will relate to that in the clinic. And they were saying like, oh, if you have a disc herniation or bulge, like we know that these cause so much pain and like this, that, and other thing. And it's just playing into the mindset that if you have these things, it means you're broken and and are in pain and like, you Mm -hmm. need to get help. Um, but like, we know that's not true. Like if you are accustomed to these things and can be flexible enough to say like, yeah, maybe I can't do X, Y, or Z as to like whatever level that I want to right now. But if I do these other things, I can still enjoy or find enjoyment in the things that I'm doing. Um, and that's going to be hard too for all of us as we get older anyways, because like look at like Arnold Schwarzenegger or like Ronnie Coleman, like Ronnie Coleman's still training, even though he's had like a dozen orthopedic surgeries. And he's like, just because I love it. He goes, yeah, I'm not like lifting the weights that I was or like, you know, I declined, he's not Mr. Olympia anymore, but it's that mentality of like, why am I doing this in the first place? Like, is it because I enjoy it or I want to be healthy or whatever? And 
you know, sometimes some of those other things can take a little bit of a backseat for you to, you know, continue on. Um, because it's yeah. that flexibility of like, I can persist despite these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess if I had to, you know, add to that, coming back full circle to the original topic, no one exercise is perfect for every single person, regardless of if they have the same diagnosis given by a provider. And there's no guarantee ever that changing a mechanical or an anatomical dysfunction derangement, however you want to word it, will eliminate your pain, right? So just because you had the surgery doesn't mean that the pain that you're having, the dysfunction you're having will 100% be better. There's a chance, but there's also a chance that it could be conservative as well. Yeah, no, I think that was that was a great just coverage of both the original topic as well as kind of everything involving that and kind of breaking it down. Because like I said, from my perspective, I learned a lot, but I think also, you know, especially hopefully people watch this who are maybe considering, you know, getting surgery or dealing with pain because not only could they obviously reach out to you guys and get some, get some expert advice and kind of just a real, and I think what you said about where you're like, no, I do refer people if surgery is the best option. I think that's very important, but quite honestly, it's like not to bash surgeons by any means, but for all those reasons you just mentioned, it should be kind of that last option where, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that's what we got to do. But, you know, I don't think anyone should be wanting to go get things done like that just because it does open up a whole can of worms, even if things go right, you know, with, with the, mm -hmm. all those things we just mentioned. So, um, yeah, Jake, uh, James, anything else you guys wanted to kind of add, um, as far as, uh, anything in general, kind of sum things up or any other thoughts? Oh, there's that. I mean, I will have some posts that will be collabed with our page uh, in the future, talking more about this too, and like that mindset aspect and everything. Yeah, yeah, and and for those that are like wondering, Jake is like a walking library with this kind of stuff, right? So if you have a specific question about specific research, he'll either find it for you or know it for you, right? So reach out to him first. Um, but both of us are always open to conversations about this, whether it's like a true formal consult, which we do offer through our platform, where it's kind of like a second opinion, or like walking through like our general treatment plan and what that might be for you in this case, or if it's just asking a couple quick questions and like pointing you in the right direction or finding a provider that's local to you that we would trust and kind of refer to. And specifically, uh, who who is uh, local to you? Kind of break that down a little bit as if someone wanted to come see you, James. Uh, so both of us are in the Rochester area. So if you're in, uh, anywhere in the Western New York area, you can come find us somewhere or at least reach out to us and we'll, we'll kind of direct you guys, but yeah, that's, that's where we're at. And we also do online as well. So if anyone watching mm -hmm. this would like to discuss things again, like they both just mentioned, you know, you can kind of lay out everything you're dealing with, especially if you've seen people in the past, um, give them kind of the info that they need. Um, as we we're just talking the more info, the better. And, uh, you know, we can kind of give you a guidance plan from there, whether it's working with us or even just once off just to kind of see what's going on um, and go from there. But yeah, definitely get in contact with us. Um, ATBPerformanceLLC.com. You can contact each of us there, um, kind of go from there and, and see how we can help you the best. So thank you guys for watching. Make sure you do subscribe if you have not already. Uh, drop a like as well and a comment if you have any questions or like anything, you know, these guys to talk about going, going into the future. Cause I know we'll definitely do this again, both from the kind of the rehab and physical therapy perspective. So um, for the guys um, we will talk to you guys soon and uh, see you in the next one.